right there, good citizens. Good evening, hello and welcome. Joining me today is John Vaveki. John is an award-winning lecturer at the University of Toronto in the departments of psychology, cognitive science and Buddhist psychology. He has published articles on relevance, realization, general intelligence, mindfulness, metaphor and wisdom. Man's all about that meaning thing. Man's all about addressing the meaning crisis that besets Western culture. He's currently in the midst of releasing a 50 episode lecture series called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Earlier this year, we were holding a voice club meetup every week at Lantern Lounge in Melbourne to, to watch those lectures and discuss them afterwards. And that was a lot of fun, really, really valuable. At the time of committing to that, I assumed the lecture series would be about, you know, like maybe 10 to 12, possibly 15 long. Turned out it's 50. That was slightly more than um, slightly more than the owner of that venue bargained for. So I don't know what we're going to do about that. You can come around to my house and watch them with me if you like. I'm still tuning in every week and they really are truly valuable. Um, I actually think some of the most important stuff being released online currently, if you're interested in consciousness and meaning and making sense of the world and broadly speaking, coming to terms with the meaning crisis, what that is, how it relates to other sorts of crises, the ecological crisis, uh, the sense-making crisis that we are going through in society. So very happy to bring this conversation to you and let's get right into it. John Vaveyaki, we are now recording a podcast and this is the first time we've met and I'm honored you've taken the time. This is very exciting for me. This is the first video online podcast I've actually recorded. They've otherwise all been in person. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. that's great. It's, yeah. it's great to meet you, Tim. I, I've, uh, I've appreciated our email conversation. I'm looking forward to the, our discussion. Yeah, right. And look, there's so much to talk about. And now we have that invisible party in the room and, and some of those people will be familiar with your work. I know a lot of my listeners won't be apart from the ones I've managed to get mm -hmm. along to the meetups I'm holding to watch your lecture series and discuss it, um, which has been quite interesting too. And I've got some questions from the people who've been attending that we'll get to a bit later on. But for the benefit of people who aren't familiar with your work, I thought perhaps you could talk a little bit about, in particular, the context, the arena, if you like, using your terminology, mm -hmm. you take yourself to be acting in or stepping into at the moment. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, um, I'll tell you just a little bit uh, for your listeners who I am. I mean, I, I am an, an assistant professor, the teaching stream at the teaching stream at the University of Toronto, and so I do. I'm 60% in cognitive psych, cognitive psychology, and 40% in cognitive science, and so um, I, I study cognition very deeply. And the aspect of cognition that I'm very interested in is this central ability uh, to zero in on relevant information and how that actually uh, functions to give us this sense of meaning, this sense of connectedness to ourselves, to each other, to reality, and that, and how that machinery is simultaneously uh, something that can uh, be a vehicle for self-deception in us, and it can also be a vehicle for self-transcendence and the cultivation of wisdom and the enhancement of that sense of meaning uh, that's, that's, you know, in concert with um, a kind of optimization of our functioning in the world. So I'm interested in all of that precisely because the arena that I see myself addressing that knowledge towards is the meaning crisis that I think is besetting um, Western civilization, for lack of a better term. And 
this is basically a, a loss of an overarching framework uh, of worldview attunement, of, of our understanding of who we are and what the world is and how those fit together in such a way that we get uh, an overall uh, guiding structure and sort of a legitimization of our projects of meaning making and of uh, the cultivation of wisdom and virtue. And, and I think what I'm trying to understand and trying to help other people understand is both historically, how did we get mm -hmm. here? How did we get into this crisis? And then, you know, and, and how, how is that expressing itself now in things like the mental health crisis, the opioid crisis, addiction crisis, right? Um, you know, sort of the, the, the sense of uh, that simultaneously, you know, everything is politicized, but we're losing faith in all of our political institutions and processes. Uh, the sense that bullshit in the technical sense that Frankfurt yeah. uses it is pervasive and, and, and growing everywhere. Also positive signs like the mindfulness revolution, the psychedelics revolution, the authentic discourse revolution, all of this. So the historical, you know, genealogy that's led to this current situation about the positive and negative symptoms of it. And then also the other thing I'm trying to do is to understand, you know, trying to get a deep cognitive scientific understanding of this meaning making machinery that I mentioned a few minutes ago and what, like how we can use the best science we have to do uh, two related things. Um, transplant and recover from the wisdom traditions of the past East and West sets of psychotechnologies and practices that could help us respond to um, the meaning crisis and also hopefully engineer new ecologies of practices um, so that we can figure out uh, how we can once again legitimate and enhance uh, the cultivation of wisdom and meaning making within the scientific worldview that we now have come to accept as the dominant worldview of the, of Western culture. So that that's basically the idea. Yeah, beautiful. That was a an excellent summary. I've been doing my best to give a summary like that before each week when new people arrive, and it's been a difficult process. But you've you've definitely got it down there. Yeah, <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> it, it's 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 a tricky thing. It's a very a long and complex argument, and and many many people have collaborated with me on it. So there's many yes. sort of variables I'm trying to manage all at once when I'm when I'm answering these questions. Yes. No, no, absolutely. Um, look, there's there's so many places we could get into here. One of the things that came up was that, yes, it's the case that in science, it has, historically speaking, been a little detached, let's say, from what's really meaningful. It's looking to give us truth about what the world is propositionally, but can become detached from what we should do about it or how we should mm -hmm. relate to it. So there's different kinds of knowing that I know you like to emphasize, which is one of the first key cognitive switch ups, I think that is helpful for people to become um, open to, let's say, uh, the quality of experience and taking experience seriously from a perspective of knowing. Um, so I'm sure, you know, um, you will comment on that. But but what what I'm trying to get to is, is in fact, yes, it's important that that the conversation about meaning and and states of consciousness is one that can be made sensible to science and what science can make sense of to be made sensible to people who are experiencing things in a really important way. But 
politically and culturally, the forums we have for having conversations that take place in this place of meaning, of this place of meaning making, of co-participation with each other in the process mm. of meaning making, are certainly is certainly an institution um, that seems like it's broken down. And in fact, to some degree, it's not clear that it's ever been really firmly established, um, at least, at least, well, we, we can think of historically speaking, although it was just men, Athenian men who participated in it, you have the mm. the forums they participated in back there. And, and that was sort of this, this interesting merging of the cultural setting and the political setting. But what what I'm interested in, John, is, is, is do you think about the the possibility that what could be helpful in our world is one in which people of, of learning, but importantly, people who are willing to be vulnerable and authentic with respect to how they discuss matters of importance, both existentially, but also who attempt to make these commensurate with domain specific, uh, scientifically, uh, literate ways of understanding the world, a forum where that kind of conversation takes place, where you have sort of real epistemic authenticity and a real um, humanism built into them. I, I'm not sure we have that in our society. And I'm interested in what you think about that and whether or not, because I think your work in some sense is laying an important, you're, you're, you're doing something really high level scaffolding, you're making legitimate different mm. areas of inquiry into what is fundamentally just people looking to connect with each other authentically mm. and take their individual practices and build them into communities. And I see you as knitting together these disparate areas. And I, I see being idea, idealistic about things, room to move in and develop forums that are that are of a different kind. And I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but I think I sort of I'm getting at the point to you if, if you if you understand what I'm in the image I'm conjuring forward here. Well, I think you you expressed that very eloquently. So thank you for that articulation. Yeah, I, I mean, I I take that uh, very seriously, and and thank you for uh, suggesting that my work is trying to uh, create sort of a, a scaffolding for what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I'm very interested in the 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 project and the prospect of creating. I'll use your noun, the forum right? A place of some kind where this kind of dialogue uh, becomes um, much more prevalent and much more uh, coherent with and conducive to a way of life, because that's ultimately uh, what I see. So I think, I hope this is addressing your point. Yes. So so what what what's happening now, um, and one of the gifts of uh, the video series and some of the, and all the podcasts and the video uh, uh, interviews and such, is I'm getting to meet a lot of people who are doing exactly what you're talking about. Yes. They, right, they are trying to create uh, places, institutions, communities, sets of practices, new psychotechnologies, uh, right, reverse engineer our cognition and our consciousness, you know, and our community um, in, in, in powerful ways. And, 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 and I, 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 I don't, I, I don't want to take undue credit. I, 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 I've been fortunate to be put in touch with these people. And I'm starting to see um, how, how much uh, there is a grassroots, I hate to say that it sounds so hackneyed, but there's a grassroots m movement 
right, to create networks, to create things like secular monasteries, to create uh, regular meetings, intellectual, existential, philosophical, sapiential exploration, mutual affordance, mutual scaffold. I'm meeting these people all over the place. The fact that our political and economic machinery is ignoring this to a large degree, uh, I think is telling, uh, again, it's a telling symptom of the meaning crisis in, in an important way. But uh, I do think that I personally have become much more optimistic about the fact that I think we are moving towards trying to figure out how to craft the sort of fundamental conceptual and practical in the sense of practices, right, uh, vocabulary and grammar of this forum that you've talked about. So many different things are happening. I, like I, 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 this morning I was talking to a gentleman. He owns a dojo. And he is, and we are meeting regularly, and we're talking about how to translate the stuff from the series into okay, how, what's a what's a whole set of interlocking, you know, pedagogical practices I can give to these kids so that the dojo becomes not just a place of learning a martial art and movement practices, but you know, a place of you know for actually giving kids a community where they're cultivating what dojos used to be, wisdom and a capacity, right, for addressing the meaning crisis. And, that, and that's precisely because the parents and the kids were coming to him and asking him uh, for this. I've talked to somebody, he, he belongs to a community of secular monasteries trying to bring back that institution that we used to have in the West, the monastery where people would go precisely to form of community of, you know, deep, uh, that integrated deep intellectual discourse with, you know, tremendous uh, you know, uh, 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 spiritual exercises for transforming uh, cognition and, and consciousness. So, so more and more, I see this happening. And, and, and again, I, I don't know what, what 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 I'm trying to articulate here, other than a combination of a sense of, of gratitude, uh, appreciation for the fact that my work seems to be, you know, helping provoke uh, this to some degree, or at least give people a vocabulary for articulating and expressing it, giving them ways to ways to connect together. So this has all been um, just, you know, an unforeseen uh, but very welcomed consequence of the series. And so I think I'm participating in. I don't. I, I, I'm trying to be cautious and not tra take authority for this. But I am participating in people trying to address the very question you you raised. Mm, beautiful, John. Goddamn, so many things to go on. Hmm. Guys, see, I have these metaphysical um, problems or uh, things I'd like to talk to you about. But before I do, I should just say that for people listening and who are based in Melbourne and are interested in what John, what you have just outlined here, this is something uh, I am also participating in doing. So for people who want to come in person and be involved in just this sort of creation, you can get in contact. It's worth saying just because. It, you know, oh, of course. I, I fully endorse that. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about that as well, which is, you know, I'm uh, networking to the best degree I can with people around the world who are doing these things. And I think there's uh, will be a lot of benefit in getting together for group discussions to discuss these sort of things and share the successes of and failures of things moving forward. I don't look yes. at this stuff at all as competition. Um, I think if you do then, and I don't think anybody in this space is. And I think 
I'm, I'm, I'm desperately interested in, in learning as quickly as possible the most appropriate ways to do this because there's actually an awful lot of vulnerability involved. And here, okay, mm-hmm. here is where I can begin to get close to the, to the metaphysical things that I think the two of us together might be, have some fun grappling with. And one way to get into it is to consider um, just how vulnerable philosophizing is. I think mm-hmm. it was Nietzsche mm-hmm. who said that philosophy is something like the revealing of the unconscious prejudice of a philosopher or something like this. And mm-hmm. I think broadly that notion is is very true. And, and for other reasons besides, I personally get quite blurred with the line between psychology and metaphysics, but there's mm-hmm. something. But 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 to this place of speaking authentically, vulnerably, seeking truth in that in that way, which is which which always bears forth the, the ultimately. There's something about this this frame. There's something about this experience that I'm deeply uncertain about, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I'm 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 tenderly stepping out, attempting to stay to some degree strong with sure. where I am here. So we might build some framework together. There's something about this that seems to me to me to be like a, like genuinely revealing something quite deep about the psyche the more you go along with this. And there's something very personally vulnerable about being in these spaces and the, well, uh, in, in some sense, I think in some basic ways, there's a distribution of well, we, we are a distribution as a as a population, and I think your 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 core most differentiations often are tied to some of your deepest personal traumas, and then perhaps there's a transpersonal domain as well. But but the mm. point I'm trying to make is that there is a vulnerability to this certain kind of seeking, and so it would be helpful to be as cognizant as possible of all the people who are honestly trying to build these structures and to communicate with them about it. And so one thing. Um, you know, I, I personally would, would, would love to would love to be involved in, in that kind of conversation, but I suppose that moves us in one way and, and not and not another way more appropriate for this conversation here. So so I guess maybe a personal question I'd like to ask is is do you feel that vulnerability in certain kinds of philosophical discussion? Because these we can hold things so deeply and I wonder the kind of things they're attached to. And I'll leave that broad for now because I think ultimately that will take us into where I want to go. Uh, yeah, that's that's great. Um, as a question, I, I mean, I, I mean that. Um, I'd like to reply in two ways to that question. I'd like to reply uh, personally, and then I'd like to reply philosophically. But, but you'll see that I, I hope you'll see that they're they're uh, deeply connected. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I mean that's that's been another uh, aspect of this, even the video series that has. Uh, um, was again to some degree unanticipated. Uh, so. I know this is an odd thing for uh, for what I do as a profession and even with this video series, but I'm by nature very quite socially phobic. Um, <laughs> um, so what I've done, I, what I've done is I've created this uh, powerful professional persona uh, that um, I use um, uh, in, in order to help uh, deal with that. You know, and and but what I had not foreseen is the degree to which. Um, that particular uh, uh, deficit in, in, in my personality structure um, would be exacerbated and called to the fore by putting out this video series. Because you see, when you're in the classroom, right, uh, that persona is, you know, directly in contact with people. I'm getting direct feedback. It's a tighter right? container. Yeah, yeah. But when you put out the, the video, it's like, mm-hmm. whoa. And so all of that hit me 
in, in a way that was psychologically uh, actually quite um, mm. quite unpleasant for mm-hmm. me. Uh, I, I don't want your listeners to misunderstand me. I, I'm deeply appreciative of, of the opportunity to do the series and the response, both quantitatively and qualitatively, that I'm getting. But I'm trying to answer your question as honestly as I can. So a lot of that, a lot of this has been sort of very, very, you know, um, for lack of a better adjective, it has been psychologically unpleasant for me yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in, in a very powerful way. And so there's there's definitely that aspect to it. Now, that, I think, um, is connected to a philosophical point I want to make, and I ref- I'm referring to work that you've heard, uh, if uh, or some of your listeners might have heard, I've referred to in uh, uh, the video series and in many of my talks. This is the work by L.A. Paul on transformative experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and then I try, and, I, and I've talked to Laurie in person a bit about this, and I think so I'm comfortable about talking this way, integrating her work with uh, what you alluded to earlier, the, these different kinds of knowing. And she talks about, you know, in the genuine transformative experiences, we face these, we face this issue um, that we, we face a kind of perspectival um, ignorance. So if I'm a parent and I'm just, you know, if I'm choosing whether or not I'm going to have a child, I don't know what it's, what I'm, what it's going to be like to have a child. I don't have that perspective knowledge, right? That perspectival knowing. And I don't know who I'm going to be because one of the things, I mean, I've had two kids. One of the things that happens when you have a child and you, you authentically enter into the project of trying your best to be a parent is you will fundamentally change who you are and what you value and what you prefer. So she says, look, you're ignorant in these two ways. You're, you, you're, you, you're ignorant of the perspectival knowing. You don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know what that salience landscape is going to be like, and you don't know who you're going to be. You don't know the way in which you're going, what like what your 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 preference hierarchy is going to be, right? You, you some of the machinery of yourself is going to be fundamentally reconfigured. Mm-hmm. So then she says you're caught in this you're caught in this situation, right? You're caught in that if you don't do it, you don't know what you're missing, and if you decide to do it, you don't know what you're going to be losing. And that's a deep and profound kind of vulnerability that you're yes. in, right? Now, I think that that's I think that also interacts with another thing we get into, right? Which is, you know, when we, we, we get into a kind of existential inertia where we have propositional knowledge, but we don't know how to translate that into the perspectival right and participatory knowing. And this is this is the this is the, the dilemma that usually faces people going into therapy. They know at the right. level of their beliefs, but they don't know how to get there. They don't have yes. they don't know how to turn those into a viable arena of action and being. And so yes. they have that kind of existential inertia. And that's also a kind of vulnerability because you feel your agency slipping out of your fingers, right? Yes. Because you're unable to move yourself in that fundamental way. And so I think when we confront the kinds of things that you and I are talking about here, we're confronting, you know, that 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 profound kind of perspectival and participatory ignorance that Laurie talks about, and we're talking. We're also confronting a profound kind of perspectival and participatory inertia. And that is deeply, deeply distressing. And those two can lock together and reinforce each other. So I think Mm -hmm. we can experience a very profound kind of vulnerability in the face of the kind of transformation we are seriously considering here. Yes, no, beautiful. I'm I'm with you. And I do think I've read parts of 
L.A. Paul's work there on uh, transformative experience and the distinction she makes between, well, she has like the, the um, personal transformation and epistemic transformation, which I think two yeah. of the terms that sort of cover what you've said there, which is yeah. very tight and helpful in the way that um, analytic philosophy is tight and helpful. Um, yes. <laughs> um, good. All right. Here's, here's another way that I've personally found the vulnerability in my mm. own putting things forward. And it's going to open up more to, I'm, I'm going to, so I am, um, I've read a bit of Jung and Jung has influenced me quite a lot, I would say. I've been through, I've been through like, like through Jungian therapy. Uh, I, I went, right. I put myself through Jungian therapy. I also... Um, attend, I've attended multiple workshops on, you know, Jungian therapeutic practice. I'm not claiming to be an expert, but I do have an insider's understanding of the process. Yes. And, yes. and some of my collaborators, like Anderson Todd, are genuine Jungian analysts and theorists. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, for for one reason, among many, Jung, at least from a Western perspective, was one of course there are others um, Alfred North Whitehead is also an influence on mine but he was one of the thinkers feelers really who's looking to take the internal world seriously but still mm -hmm. to make that comprehensible as best he could in his own language to the scientific perspective and so there is this he's kind of an early and I think he went incredibly far um, like I, farther than I can go um, he went incredibly far in 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 trying to in some sense do this re-embedding into the one world which you might between the internal and the external i know that's too bro i know that's there's different ways you could make that oppositional divide in terms of what constitutes the two world model sure. but broadly speaking the meaning in, in terms of the internal world and, and the psyche and then the external world of bodies colliding is 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 one sort of um dichotomy that that we have got trapped in um but one of the terms and you get this term, of course, in, in otherwise in different areas of psychology, but it's one of projection. And mm -hmm. so I put things out there online and, um, you know, they've been watched a, a lot fewer than, than, than your videos have. But uh, one in particular with a, um, a well-known figure who you might have known personally, given that he's Canadian uh, based, Gabor Mate, who's um, a physician and has done a lot of work on trauma and addiction. And he has an, a big online following. And I've heard of, I've heard of him and I've I have not I'm not claiming to know any of his work but I've had people uh, refer me to him before. Yes. Please continue. Well, I believe he's he's helped a lot of people in conceptualizing addiction and trauma very helpfully. I have no doubt mm. about that. Um but when him and I spoke in the podcast and I think it's a fairly entertaining watch there was a little tension between us partly because I was attempting to articulate a position that was um, not in total contrast to what he was putting forward, um, but was was part of the dialogical process, I think, required to get to where I felt at the time mm. was the right synthesis. But the point I'm just making is there was that there was that little bit of tension between us there. And, and he has a lot of fans. And and so it's very interesting to see what the people write about you and pick up on you in an environment like that. Yeah, so from from what sure. was from my perspective, honestly, really trying to engage in a discussion, all of a sudden, then you're 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 placing yourself forward in just that one perspective of how you appeared then, and almost every little different part of you is getting picked apart. And so the point I'm making is, you make yourself a no, martyr isn't the right word. 
you are you are whatever hooks you do have for projection you become a magnet you become a magnet for projections yeah you become a magnet for projections and is is that the point you're making my understanding you well yeah, yes yeah. that's that right and so how do you I mean, that just seems like a necessary sacrifice in some sense, but it is a very interesting one. I just wonder what your it's experience also, it's is. A, it's also a dangerous one, right? I right. Mean, so, I mean, that I mean, let's use a union term that could that could induce, you know, significant inflation in an individual. Yes. Right. Or to use other terms, it could really uh, feed a kind of uh, of narcissism. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And. Um, it could appeal to all kinds of cognitive biases of, you know, of the illusion of superiority or cognitive, uh, you know, confirmation bias. So those projections have the capacity, right, uh, to really, really uh, twist and warp uh, a person. And, and uh, so, Tim, from the very beginning, I've been, I've been very cognizant of that. Uh, and I've been very cognizant of the dangers both ways. For, so the danger to me in the kind of person I could become as the receiver of this projection, and uh, let, let's be clear. I mean, I do, I have, and do receive some very, very, you know, you know, very powerful, very superlative things, and and so that can be like that could, and you can see what people are doing, right? Uh, and, and and they're confusing what I've been saying with me as a person and all that all that machinery that we normally find in projection. And then there's also the reverse, which is right. You, you have to be you have to be responsible for how people are responding to you. You can't just sort of push people away because you 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 don't want to be a magnet for the projections, right? Because uh, that that that's going to render almost any attempt to reach people where they are, you know, uh, just impossible. I would say. So, uh, towards the first, I've I've done I, I've done a careful job of trying to note people who I think have gone the wrong way. And sort of by reverse template, <laughs> try to avoid some of those patterns. Um, and then I have I have gathered around me a group of people who have uh, have because of deep friendship and trust the authority to to criticize me. And I've explicitly asked them and repeatedly asked them to be involved in this project of keeping me, you know, clear and centered uh, on that. What I do. F- outward is I try to make it clear that people should focus on the arguments and the ideas and that those ideas and arguments don't belong solely to me, mm-hmm. right? I'm constantly mm-hmm. trying to say, like, here's other people that are working with me. Here's other, like, I, I, that's why I have in the video series, I have the panels come up, right? You know, of the books I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yes. I constantly try to cite other people that I've collaborated with. And then I constantly sort of, like, like, so I, I, I mean, I understand in this context why personal questions are asked because that's what's going on here. But yes. generally, I, when people are like in the video series asking me questions about me personally, I don't respond to those questions. Right. Yes. Uh, right. I, yes. I don't respond to those questions. In, in, so I, I try to get people focused on the argument and focused on the set of people beyond just me that are responsible for the production of what people are finding useful or helpful. Yes. No. Beautiful. I think one difference between our cases, John, is that uh, you responded to my question there um, 
given the, the positive feedback you've had on large, whereas in my uh -huh. case, I was just fucking hammered, <laughs> okay? Oh, like, really, really? Various oh, different ways. Well, but it's going to continue to happen, and, and I'm okay with that, and in, in many respects, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to learn, although you do actually just have to push some away. Because yeah, you, have to you have to develop a bit of a thick skin, right? Right, absolutely. And some of them, some comments are complete bollocks, right? But some yeah. are, you can kind of see, okay, that's how I'm coming across here. And it's like, all right, why am I coming across like this? Okay, were there motives about that I was bringing to the table that uh, were, there, were there to fore not conscious to me? So <laughs> what strings were pulling me? What drives yeah. were pulling me? What what things inside were looking to develop and had maybe not had their time to be made explicit in a particular way that were piercing through and having their say. And I like thinking, I like thinking like this, although there's a danger in it because it's in part a sort of post hoc analysis. But the thing yes. is, is that we are unknown to ourselves and we do develop. And in some sense, you can only understand the gestalt of what you've been and are doing in your life by taking this oversight, this oversight view. And of course, you will then, um, I'm sure, and, and rightly um, elucidate the two, two modes or two uh, directions of intention, let's say, in meditation experience or in mindfulness practice that can help better um, fit or come up with and fit us to the right frame of reference to understand what our place in the world or, or, mm -hmm. or what, mm -hmm. what, or what yeah. the world is. And I know you like to talk about um, meditation as this as this breaking up the frame and sort right. of returning to a kind of an, an impartiality and non-identification with the particular contents of consciousness um, and then the, the the contemplation which was a really nice switch up for me and it mapped onto some work I'd done previously although not to the anywhere near to the degree to, of clarity that you talk about these things with contemplation as this this going out again once the frame's mm. been broken and attempting to grasp the world in the right way and that we have these revolutions of this process um, if we are let's say being good little rational cognitive agents that can help us better fit ourselves to the to an understanding of the situation you you, you articulated that extremely well thank you I mean I think yeah you, you put that very clearly thank you cool man yeah no I mean look I um I think this is uh crucial i genuinely think i genuinely think what you're doing is is crucial and i think the um that every week there's these really tight um descriptions of like for example all right so this will be a bit of a break up from the from the conversation but it is something i want to ask you because i think it's that valuable that i, I want people to hear it and it's the distinction you make between um, the having mode and having needs and the being mode and being needs. Sure. Yeah. And this is one where, look, I have a guy that comes along to the, to the meetup and watches this with me. Very, very smart guy, very well educated. Um, he works in some sort of um, psychological capacity with people who have various problems. And he takes transformation seriously from every level of analysis, physiological, psychological, spiritual. But even this distinction for him, I think, was like a light bulb moment in terms of, well, it's such a simple way to articulate something so fundamental about what we are that speaks importantly to where we are often going wrong in current culture. So if you would, please, um, the having mode and the being mode, I'd, I'd love for you to tell us about that. Uh, thank you. Um, so the idea is uh, drawn from Eric Fromm, uh, his book, uh, you know, To Have and To Be. Uh, but um, 
and and Fromm is clear about this. He doesn't think he's the originator of this distinction. You can find uh, analogous distinctions in many places. Stephen Batchelor has a version of this distinction in his book, uh, Alone with Others, an existential interpretation of Buddhism. Um, you can find something analogous in Gabriel Marcel. So, right, and I think even uh, you could understand parts of what Heidegger is doing using this distinction. But I think Fromm, and the reason why I use from ways of talking about it, although I supplemented a bit with uh, with Buber and with Collingwood, right? I think that it's a very clear and concise way of talking about it. So Fromm's idea is that, right? For, first of all, we have to get this notion of an existential mode, right? So when I'm talking about an existential mode, I'm talking about this process of co-identification, right? I'm always assuming a particular identity in order to exercise my agency, and I'm projecting onto the world a set, set of identities in order to make that world an intelligible arena for my action. And so those, yes. and this is also re related to, you know, uh, Clifford Geertz's work on worldviews, right? Yes. But th that, that deep, participatory relationship, the way they co-define and yes. co-create each other. Yes. Okay, that's the existential mode. And that what yes. Fromm was pointing out is we have two fundamentally different existential modes. And th these modes, these agent arena co-fitting relationships are organized around different sets of needs we have. And so the having needs are needs that are met by having things, exercising control over them, ultimately, often ultimately consuming them like oxygen, food, water, or at least having really intimate control over them like shelter, etc. Right. And then Fromm's notion is, well, those are, first of all, neither mode is right or wrong. Okay. But yes. the having mode is right. It's a legitimate mode because we do have these needs. There's things we literally have to you know, consume and have power and control over, or we cease to be. Yes, and then he said, and, so. and then, <laughs> and then he, he asked a really good question. He's like, "What, like, what is your cognitive machinery like, right? And what's your existential mode like in order to facilitate uh, solving this?" Well, he says, "Well, what you do is you, and here I'll use some Collingwood ideas to to make it a little bit clearer. But what I do is I give things a categorical identity. Like this is a glass, mm -hmm. right? And, and so." I, I, I can quickly and efficiently know, know how to get control over it and manipulate it because I can put it into a category and I can use the way in which it's similar to all the other glasses and the way I could replace this with another glass. So all of that, abil I, 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 I assign a categorical identity and then that tells you what my relationship is to it. My relationship is one of, you know, what Fromm calls like animal intelligence. That, that's not an insult, by the way, right? It means my tremendous capacity to manipulate things in the world in order to, right, to solve my having needs. Mm -hmm. So I have an I-it relationship to yes. things, to use an idea from Buber. Now, then Fromm pointed out, but we have a different set of needs. Uh, he calls them uh, being needs. Um, I sometimes think that it might be more accurate to call them becoming needs or developmental needs. Yes. So we have a need to be mature. We need to we have a need to become mature, to develop maturity. Uh, we have a need to, you know, become virtuous. We need to, you know, we have a need to become authentic. These are these are things we need to become. So these are not these needs are not met by controlling or manipulating. These are needs that are met through, and this goes back to something we were talking about not that long ago. These needs are met by going through important developmental transformations yes. in, in really important ways, coming up with ways in which we overcome that existential inertia, that, that existential ignorance, and, and fundamentally uh, uh, go through a process of self-transcendence. 
And so the being needs are, are met, therefore, by a different framework of cognition, because now I'm not primarily trying to solve problems in the sense of come up with an answer of how to quickly get my goal. Instead, what I'm trying to do is connect myself to reality, like to to the reality of who I am and the reality out there so that I can get this reciprocal realization so that I and the world can co-transform, the agent in the arena can yes. co-transform so that I become a different uh, you know, cognitive agent. So my relationship now is not one of animal intelligence. It's one of reflect, reflective reason, where reason is this process by which we take ourselves... So when I use reason, I'm not talking about syllogistic argumentation. I'm talking about this process by which we put ourselves through right, um, development in order to enhance and optimize our capacities with respect to the world. So because I'm engaged in this project right, of making meaning, because that's what reason is doing for me, make, right, and, and, and going through this developmental change, I don't have an I-it relationship to things. I want to be connected to things so that I can penetrate to their mystery, right? And and and, and the mystery that's that's still within me. See, the mystery is that is that developmental affordance, right, for the, these kinds of transformations and self-transcendences that are needed for uh, the being mode. So I have an I thou relationship. Right yes. to right, to use Boober and my and my my the, my interaction with things is not categorically but expressively. So I'll often use the, the the this point right. Presumably, and this is I, I think I share this with people. That's my presumption. Your relationship to a deep friend or your romantic partner is a developmental relationship of reciprocal realization. You're both uh, you're both affording each other's growth and 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 disclosure of depth, both within yourself and within the arena of your life, right? Yes. And so your relationship to your partner or to your deep friend is not an I-it categorical manipulative relationship. I wouldn't say to my partner, I wouldn't say to her, you know, I'm with you because you remind me so readily of all the other women I've ever been with. I, right, that gives me information so that I can efficiently and effectively manipulate you and control you in, in order to, you know, service my needs. Like yes. that is not making this relationship go well. I'm destroying uh, the relationship because that is not why she has entered into this relationship, right? She's not entered into it to solve a problem, to have control over resources. She's entered into it to become a different person. And that is, of course, why I've also entered into it. So here's the issue then. Both modes are legitimate. What Fromm, and I, I would argue, and this is what Stephen Batchelor argues, uh, you know, what Buddhism and many things are talking about is modal confusion. When we confuse, when we pursue, right, we use the wrong mode to pursue the needs we're pursuing. And the classic example that Fromm uses is we pursue the being needs from within the having mode so that you know in order to become mature we have a car in order to be in love we have lots of sex right and, right and, and 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 so what we what we and Fromm's point right is that confusion serves other people in their capacity to exploit and manipulate us because if I can keep you trapped 
in the having mode, you are, of course, are being frustrated. And I mean that in a deep existential and psychological sense. You're being frustrated in your attempt to satisfy your being needs. So what, what will you do? You're trapped in the having mode and having the car isn't doing it. So it must mean that I don't have the right car. Or I've got to get a new car or a new iPhone or, or, right? or I've got to get more likes. I have to have more likes on my social media. And so you pursue this with an increasing frenzy. And then Fromm predicts there's two responses to that. Like the, 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 the futility and the frustration bifurcate and you either fall into a kind of deep despair or you, you, that, that frustration and futility reaches out in the only way in which you feel you can again reconnect to reality, which is sort of a violent, you know, reaction, anger, and, you know, attacking um, those around you, uh, it, because that's sort of the last resort you have to at least reconnect uh, to reality in some fundamental way. So the modal confusion is a profound way in which we can be deceived, and and, and that deception also makes us ex you know, quite exceptionally vulnerable uh, to, uh, to manipulation by others. There we go. That's the close of part one of this conversation. You can find links to check out what John's doing at the University of Toronto, as well as with his online lecture series in the description box. The next podcast to be released will be a conversation with Peter Lindbergh of the Intellectual Explorers Club. That was recorded about five or six weeks ago now. Time flies, but I'm very excited to share that one with you as well. And it was a real creative exploration into, into the culture war. So that was a lot of fun. Okay, so until next time, and even if there is no next time, I truly wish you a beautiful time.